When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From Pieces of Eden, Solar Flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup. I'm here as one of your co-hosts for this show. And we've got a pretty interesting topic to cover today. But first, I will let my co-host introduce himself. Austin, also known as Teacup. All right. So I know that we have talked on patron chats, especially, and just in other episodes about how, at least for you and I, our like number one place that we want to see Assassin's Creed go to is India. And even perhaps during like the British rule of India. Um, And we just feel like that would be a really interesting topic. So it's really exciting for me to see that we are talking about the Sikh empire, which is at least adjacently connected to that part of the world and that era. So I'm pretty excited for our topic today. Uh, yeah, me too. And it is, it's very connected to the era we're talking about. The Sikh Empire is the ruling body of government that the British Empire dissolves when they colonize India. Yikes to that. Um, but I mean, it's, I feel like it's just an area and a part of the world that has such a rich um, cultural background that there are so many really interesting and cool ways that you can tie that into the Assassin's Creed narrative. Right. And it is a very interesting thing because just that part of the world, particularly like what we consider the Middle East, um, that area over into India is really like not only the birth, what we think is the birthplace of humanity and life with the like, uh, Tigris and Euphrates rivers and that fertile crescent and all of that in there. But it is the birthplace of a good portion of all of the major religions of the world. 
Yeah, like all of the dominant, so to speak, religions that have like the largest numbers in our world, like they all come out of the Middle East and in, even into Asia and Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. too. And so it, it is a very um, I feel like in my conception and my education, like I feel like that's not something that we study a lot. And I feel like it's something that we should when we're in school. Um because you're right, it is it is so important just to the history of the world. Yes, it really is. It's and so talking about religion, I think we should talk about what a Sikh is. Um, and that's it's Sikh spelled S I K H, and it is pronounced Sikh. Like I will like hide and seek. Um, there's a difference between the Sikh Empire and the religion we know as Sikhism. So those are not the same. Uh, I had to do actually quite a bit of research to figure out that these are not the same. And they're kind of related, but not really related. Here's a question. So Mm -hmm. the the people that have created and led the Sikh empire, they were members of the Sikh religion? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, The Sikh empire is entirely a political entity they might have been Sikh I believe their founder was Sikh but I couldn't find anything in my like surface level internet search that confirmed that but Sikhism the religion is much older than the Sikh empire it is about 550 to 200 years older than the Sikh empire but I think the influence of this area is that the religion does influence this. And I think that, you know, in our days, like those who practice Sikhism and who identify that they are called Sikhs. So likely there is probably some connection that there were leaders or at least culturally they identified in this place. There's an interesting connection between the history of the religion and the empire because they originate in the same area which is the uh punjab area of india which is right on that uh if you're looking at a map where india and pakistan meet it's kind of around that order sitting on that border there uh i don't want to dive a lot into the beliefs of sikhism because it's not really what we're talking about i just want to give a little history of how it was founded uh sikhism arises during a great uh turmoil in the punjab region of south asia uh it exists on the border between hindu or hindi india and islamic pakistan And so as they're going up, there's a lot of tension between Islam and Hinduism. And then Sikhism kind of arises as a bridge between the two groups. Uh, And this is kind of just a thing. Hinduism as a whole tends to be a pretty accepting religion of other ideologies because there's a big belief that like there are many paths to enlightenment there are many paths to nirvana and so whatever path works for you works um and so hinduism tends to accept other religions that are around there and like yeah that's okay it's just 
another path. It's another part of Hinduism. Uh, that's a very service level historical overview. And that's really Sikhism kind of arises as a bridge between Hinduism and Islam. Uh, that's a very, very surface level overview historically. There's a lot of nuance and conflict and a lot of more details in their actual rise and creation. But that's a good summary. And for our purposes with a sense creed, that summary will do. Um, so the Sikh Empire uh, rises up at the end of the 18th century. And so for those of you who are not big history buffs, and I always have to remind myself of this, the 18th century is the 1700s. And so uh, the founder of the Sikh Empire is Ranjit Singh. He creates the empire when he conquers the city of Lenore, or Lahore, which is like the center of the Indian government at this point. And so this action makes Singh the uh, Maharaja, which is like the prince, the king, the ruler of this state. Um, the empire stretched from the Pakistan border all the way to Tibet, which makes it the 19th largest empire at the time. So this empire is unique in the area because, and I think that this is where we see the influence of Sikhism into this empire. Uh, they allowed for anyone, regardless of religious affiliation, to hold power in the government. Now, this is unique for this area because in this area, historically, there had been a lot of connection between religious leaders and governmental leaders. And so... They weren't always one and the same, but typically there was a connection between the dominant religion and those who ruled in the government. So this would be a unique thing in this area at this time that they're allowing anyone, regardless of religious affiliation, to hold power in the government. And I think we see this in that Sikhism, the religion, existed and rose up out of a need to bridge between two conflicting religions. Yeah, and I also think this is pretty revolutionary just for this time period in general, like the 1700s, you know, throughout the world, it's like, okay, well, our country is Catholic, or our country is Protestant, or our country is fill in the blank. And so to be a leader, to be a governor, to be a ruler, a politician, a monarch, you are also that particular religion or whatever the case may be. So I think that that's a, um, a pretty worldwide happening, especially in the 1700s. So it's not just limited to India, Southeast Asia, this part of the world. It's um, just kind of the whole world in general and not everything and not everyone. Um, but most places would typically generally fall into those kinds of patterns right and it is interesting because if we think about the time frame of when this is happening uh Singh conquers in 1799 so literally like the last year to be able to qualify for the 18th century oh right so uh, the, the 1800s too yeah but if we think about all the things that are going around like america as as we know it under the constitution 
is only 10 years old. Right. Um, and that, and the idea that we would have a country that established no state religion and not only didn't establish it, but stated in their governing documents that there will be no state religion. Um, yeah. That was very unique for the Western world at the time. I can't speak to outside of the Western world because I just don't know. But at least in the Western world, it was very unique for the time. And then India and this place coming up there. So we've talked a lot about our actual history and not a lot about the assassin creed history. Here is where it gets fun. Ranjit Singh and his family are the guardians of the Koh-i-Noor diamond, which we know in Assassin's Creed universe is a piece of Eden, not just a piece of Eden, but a particularly powerful piece of Eden. This piece of Eden, this conversation about the diamond, like it's so hard to take the Assassin's Creed lore of this diamond outside of the real historical record too, because like it's, it's so completely intertwined with uh, Great Britain, with the history of colonialism, with India, with, you know, friggin' Charles and Camilla, like she's up there wearing the crown, you know? So like, it's so tied into our history and even our modern day things that are going on right now. So it's kind of hard to, to separate and classify it as like, oh, well, this is Assassin's Creed. And now we're going to talk about our world. Like it's, it's kind of, it's difficult. Right. And like, it's just so hard to not talk about the Sikh empire and the Koenor diamond because like, the fact that it still sits in the British crown is still left over from colonialism. Like it is, I don't think it's a sacred piece to India. I don't know enough to say that it is or it is not, but it at least is significant historically and it still sits in the possession of their colonizer. Yeah. And like when they got their freedom and I don't know what the reason was. I don't know what the the arguments or, or, or any kind of negotiations were about this diamond and whether or not it even had conversations about returning it. But, you know, it's it's pretty crazy that uh, they got their freedom, but they didn't get their stuff back. Mm -hmm. Before we jump into our actual Assassins versus Templars moment of this, which will center around the Koenor, uh, let's take our mid-break. All right, let's do it. Makose! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! You weak fool! Get a job! Christina! Who's there? Me! Oh, it's you! I should have known! May I come in? Fine, but only for a minute. A minute is all I need. Indeed. Well, wait. Uh... That came out wrong. All right. Welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all things that have to do with the um, 
Assassin's Creed lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. Um, the first thing we do every single week is we thank our patrons. Thank you so much to all of you who support us. And we also shout out our new patrons. And we do have a new patron to shout out today. Thank you so much to Nathan P., also known as Chaos. Welcome to the Master Assassin tier. We will definitely see you at our next patron chat in November. Um, and then the other thing I have to tell you about um patreon is that we do have merch coming soon so like nathan definitely come on over and join that patreon and you'll get some stickers in 2024 so the uh next thing i have to talk about is that the next best way to support us if you can't support financially is to leave us ratings and reviews now we are close to catching up on all of our reviews from our break so um, definitely hop on over to, to Apple or to Spotify and leave a comment if you feel so led. It's a great way to support us and helps get the word out about our show. So this review I have to read today is actually a Spotify comment left on the Alexios versus Cassandra conversation we had with N7 The Legend. And Mr. R says this. Thanks for being an awesome, informative podcast. I'm a big fan, a big AC fan, but I've never done the books or comics, so I'm learning all of the new lore. Five out of five stars. Thank you so much, Mr. R, for that awesome review. Um, the next thing I have to tell you about is our Discord server, which is an amazing, awesome place on the internet. Um, you want to come hang out with some like-minded people, definitely jump over there. We are currently getting ready to do a giveaway for some Dragon Age merch. So if you're also a Dragon Age fan, definitely hop on over there and get all the details. And then, of course, the last thing that I have to tell you about is my playthrough of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And I do have some really important news to share. And that is that I have finished the base game and am working on the DLCs now. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I'm honestly just so confused. I feel like there were some things that I really loved about this game. There were some things I really hated about this game. But I think the bulk of this game is stuff that's like, okay, cool. What's next? Like, it's not like I did not love this game. Um, there were parts of it that were really fun. I loved the setting for sure. Um, I love this time period. It's, um, you know, a really fun and interesting time period. And you guys have heard me talk about the last kingdom books, which is one of my favorite book series of all time. There's a lot of commonality between the two, but I just felt like there were so many plot points. It was really hard to follow everything. Yeah, I understand. Um, I remember playing it in there. And thinking, like, when I got to that final scene in uh, Wessex with Guthrum and the army of being like, oh, no, like, I remembered Soma and Hjor, but they were like, okay, which person were you again? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was really sad that Soma died. Um, I didn't really care about Hjor because I didn't really like him. I, I thought he was the traitor from the get-go with that quest, but whatever. Um I I really, really liked how they handled Alfred. Um, 
I think he's a really interesting historical figure, polarizing, uh, a little extreme, but really interesting. Like he's a villain I really like, and he I wouldn't really classify him as a villain, so to speak. But um, I really, really loved that. Like they didn't make it a historical and have Avor kill him and then him miraculously like survive. And at the same time, they didn't make him some like gung ho Templar because we know from the historical record, like he would have had major issues because he was a truly devout person. And I do believe that he was a truly devout person. Um, and so he would have had major issues with their theology, um, with the Templars theology and, and, you know, being not Christian. And so, I appreciated that that they kind of found this middle way of like Alfred is a Templar, but he also like doesn't like them um, and is willingly saying like, no, we're done here. So I really enjoyed that part of it, too. Right. And I liked Alfred's take on because he basically ends up dissolving the Order of Ancients. Like that's his goal. That's what's his goal as like the poor fellow and. It's just really interesting to me, like his reform, like where the Templars are now and his reform, because you can really see and what makes Alfred so complicated is that he really does want a world that's good for everybody. He wants it to be Christian because he believes that's the best world for everybody, but he wants a world that is good for everybody. And that's so contrary to how the Templars in the rest of history act because they're about, we want the world that's best for us. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And so anyway, I I enjoyed that storyline. And I think the thing about Valhalla that I enjoy the most is the historical stuff. And I think that goes for most of the AC games, but especially in this game, I loved the historical narrative. I loved building Ravensthorpe. Like that was awesome. I loved that. The things that I didn't like so much. Um I didn't particularly like the modern day story. I felt like it was convoluted and I felt like um, Layla does not look like Layla and we've talked about that and we don't have to go over it again. So moving on, didn't love that, but like it, it would have been fine, eh, whatever. But the thing I hated about this game, and this may be a hot take. I don't know. I hate it. Absolutely disliked the, um, Norse God lore that you're basically reenacting, um, I didn't like any of that. I didn't like going to Asgard or Jotunheim or wherever the hell else you go. Um, so I, I did not like that. I did not enjoy fighting Odin. Um, I think my game glitched for a while and I was just stuck running around, <laughs> running away from him in this like black area that looked like the loading screen. And anyway, from the beginning of this game, when Odin was like hovering over my shoulder when I'm assassinating someone every time. And Austin can attest to this every time I was like, why is he here? He is so creepy. Go away. And you were just like, Oh sister, you don't know what's coming kind of thing. So that's, that was the part of the game that I disliked the most. Yeah, I can see that. I didn't love all the Isu stuff. I was much more interested in the Isu stuff in Odyssey than I was in Valhalla. I just really felt like if they had just made Eivor, like much more involved, 
with the hidden ones and like asserting the hidden ones presence it would have felt a lot better and more like an assassin's creed game Mm -hmm. like i feel like this game is so disconnected from the narrative of the other games Yes, I completely agree. And I think the issue with, or I guess it's not an issue, but with Odyssey, the reason I think why we don't feel like it's as big of a deal to have the Isu and we're more invested in the Isu storyline is because the hidden ones don't exist yet. Like they're not around. So there's, you know, it's it's not a thing yet. So there's no story that you feel like you're missing out on. But another thing with, with Valhalla that I just wanted more of is like, Basim's fine. Like, I don't hate him. Clearly he's got some issues. Um, But I just feel like it was a wasted or missed opportunity for us to have Hytham there too. And like, I feel like we don't get to know anything about him. I want to know so much more about him. Right. And like, it would have made a better story if like, and even Hytham's story because he's so injured by Kyote that he can't continue his assassin. And like, one of my favorite scenes is where Hytham teaches Eivor the leap of faith. And why couldn't we get more of that of like, the way Hytham helps the Brotherhood is by recruiting and training another person. Yeah, that would be awesome. So I, I completely agree that there are some things that are good about this game. There are some things that I'm like, you guys should have changed this. Um, and I kind of had this theory a while back, um, maybe a month or two ago. I kind of feel like the developers at Ubisoft who wrote this game and who who created this game, they wanted to just make it a Norse game um, where you're building your settlement, whatever, and you're also fighting or going into like Asgard and stuff. I feel like they just wanted to make it that. And then like the developers at Ubisoft, the executives, they rejected it and they were like, no, you need to find a way to fit it into one of our existing properties, one of our existing um, fandoms. And so they just kind of shoved it into Assassin's Creed in whatever way they could make it fit. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, They're just like, if they wanted to make like a Norse like Viking kind of assassin story, there are a lot of things in Norse mythology and like Norse culture, Danish culture that would fit this and would make like the assassin persona make sense. Yeah. And, and they didn't include any of that. Right. And we talked a lot about how um i forget the name the shadow walker mythology person um which again in the last kingdom books utrid for a long time he he thinks he is one of them and they basically like stalk through the night and like they're they're basically assassins um but like myth mythological assassins and so it would have been really cool to explore that line of thinking um have somebody who comes from that tradition who's also an assassin like that would be really cool um so i agree again it feels like a missed opportunity at least parts of it to to uh have this setting and then not have it be fully expanded upon um but we didn't talk about desmond i know that no he is I am, I don't know how to feel like I, when I played it, I was like, this person's familiar. And later on you were like, that was Desmond. And I was like, oh, okay. 
That makes sense. But like we we never got his name. It's just the voice actor. So and I know that they don't do stuff like that accidentally. But also, it's like, can we just get a little bit more explicit? Like, this is who this is, please. Right. I just don't see them using that particular voice actor. Like, if they had, you know, we had our interview with Phil Shabazz. Like, if they had put him in there, I'd be like, oh, he could be someone different. Like that, but. Desmond is so unique and prolific to the story. And there's a lot of like what you're doing, like is related to what Desmond does in Assassin's Creed three. And, you know, Sean and Rebecca are there and they're talking a lot about Desmond. And there's a great like recording on the computer that is Desmond talking about what it means to be an assassin. True. And so it just seems unlikely that it's just a random whatever that's fair that is very fair um but anyway so i'm still playing valhalla with the dlc and everything i will probably move on to uh, the next game soon um probably mirage honestly probably mirage so that's where i'm at um and then after I play Mirage, I'll probably go back and finish up DLCs from Odyssey and Origins. I don't know. Haven't decided what's next. I may also take a break. So we'll see. Um, just not sure. But for now, let's get back into the rest of the show and the Seek Empire. Malaka! 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 Unless the legend is a lie, you are the man I long to meet, renowned master and mentor. It's your auditori, the la la la. Franco. Uh, forgive me. I have a hard time remembering that Italian gibberish. I'll see you all at the selection ceremony, ladies. I especially hope you show up. Let me guess. He's rich. So it's time for the assassins. So as you guessed it, maybe you guessed it. The assassins highly back Ranjit Singh and serve as protectors of the Sikh empire, which makes sense. Like the Sikh empire is very focused on justice and choice and everyone having a say in our participate in everything, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, so in 1839, the mentor, Hamid, uh, seeing the incursion of British Templars into the Indian country, tasked assassin Arbaz Mir with locating a map that detailed the Koh-i-Noor. This map showed that the Koh-i-Noor was in the possession of Ranjit Singh, and Hamid tasked Arbaz to obtain the diamond and to protect Singh. So with the help of a slave boy named Raza Sura, Arbaz tracked the diamond to an Isu ruin and successfully obtains it. However, Templars are on to them. They track him and arrest Arbaz, and this distraction also allows the Templars to poison Sink. Arbaz eventually escapes capture, and the fight for the diamond begins. Uh, the assassin ally and princess, uh, Payar Kuar, attempts to use the diamond to help in the fight. She doesn't really know what she's doing. And when you, as we know, 
if you do not have the correct amount of Isu DNA and you attempt to use a piece of Eden, it doesn't work out well for you. It can have very, very big repercussions. So she like starts to trans change into this like Isu projection. And so the Templars freak out at this. Actually, they freak out and like what's happening. And so one of them tries to shoot her as she's in this Isu like projection or whatever. And it releases a blast from the Koinor that kills all the Templars and the Imperial Guards. And so the Koinor then remains in Hamid's protection. Uh, so after this, they basically say, we'll take this over. Let us guard it. We're the ones who need to guard humanity. We are assassins. We work in the dark to serve the light, blah, blah, blah. But then he's captured by Templars. Like, it's important to note that while this is going on, the colonization and British and Britain's control over India is just ranking up and increasing and increasing. It's becoming more and more difficult for the assassins to exist in India at this point because of Britain's control over the country. So he is captured by Templars who take the diamond. So naturally, his right-hand man, Arbaz, who did that, pursues the Templars. after res- And after rescuing Hamid, uh, he traces them to the Omnistar Temple, where he witnessed the Templars use the Koinor in conjunction with a precursor box, which we've seen precursor boxes before. We're just not really sure what they do. Like, we see a precursor box in Rogue. We see them in other places across. We're not, they just kind of like amplify pieces of Eden or interact with other pieces of Eden. Uh, and so this gets the location of another Isu temple in Afghanistan. And so Arbaz chases the Templars to uh, Herat off Afghanistan. Arbaz discovers that the temple's pedestal was broken. So this temple is similar to the temples that we see in Assassin's Creed Rogue, uh, which one lies under Lisbon, and when you mess with it, like that's what caused the Lisbon earthquake. So these are like big, big deals, but this one is broken, uh, and so there's not any danger here. And so Arbaz is taken captive in this temple. In this temple. Did you have a question? I saw your hand move. No, it's not that I had a question. I was just kind of like throwing my hands up at the fact that it's quote unquote not dangerous, which I frankly just don't believe. <laughs> after uh, after his Arbaz's return to India, he realizes that Pyrara, uh, who is now his lover, dangerous situation, fighting Templars, Isu artifact, that is a recipe for romance and a great relationship. Yeah, let's just make it all the more um, of a sticky situation here. Like, okay, not the best decision, but but let's yeah. just, you know, whatever. Let's move on. Uh, he is being held captive in the Summer Palace, uh, basically, by the Templars again. Uh, so he makes his way through the palace. He confronts the Templars. Uh, Pyara is not just a passive prisoner. She, while held at uh, gunpoint, stabs one of the Templars and allows Argos to steal the Koidor, rescue her, and they flee. 
where we then get this connected into the greater Assassin's Creed narrative, uh, he meets fellow assassin Ethan Fry. Now that last name might sound familiar to everyone. Ethan Fry is the father of Jacob and Evie Fry. Uh, he gave him the Koinor and telling him to hide it somewhere, which we know, and we learn all this while the modern day story is going on, searching for the Koinor against the instruments of the first will. It's how they learn that the Koinor is in Britain. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Um, that makes sense to me, honestly. Um, <laughs> this is a really interesting story. It. To me, my reflection is that it totally makes sense that it becomes harder and harder for assassins to operate in India because of the British colonial rule. Um, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, 100%. And we know that after the assassination of Edward Kenway, that the British Templar, the British Brotherhood, just dissolves. And Britain becomes such a Templar stronghold at that yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, another, you know, chase for the Peace of Eden. Uh, you can experience some of this in the Assassin's Creed Chronicles India game. Uh, if you're a fan of side-scrollers and that, I'm not a big fan of them. I just don't enjoy the gameplay, but I hear that they have some interesting stories and they're worth a shot if you want to experience all that. Um, but yeah, any last thoughts about the Sikh Empire? Um, just that I hope we go to India in a, in a mainstream game at some point in time. I think it's too good of a location to, you know, kind of waste and, and not go and see. So definitely top of my list um, would be really interesting. So, yeah. Right. And like, I think one little thing that I want to show about this conflict is this is the time where we see the Templars just straight up using government force and an extreme amount of force to just seize what they want mm -hmm. uh, a lot of precursor to how abstergo is going to operate is how they operate in india and just exploring all of that and just let the templars realize like hey let's stop trying to like be secret like yes let's keep our organization secret but let's be the people in control and utilize what we need to utilize. Yeah. And also, you know, it's, it's a really interesting or not interesting, but important reminder of like, when somebody shows you who they are, believe it, believe their actions. You know, this is how the, the Templars, Abstergo, whatever name they're operating under, like this is how they've been behaving for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. I think that's about all we've got for today. That's it. That's all I got. So we're ready to wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this research, bringing the topic. Um, definitely another interesting episode. And um, thank you for that. And thank you all so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week. listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. 
You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.